monstrous flesh festive frights in this mini-series we explore the horrors of the season through our favorite christmas horror films i'm meg one of your podcast hosts and i'm clelia the other host of the podcast and in this episode we're putting our phones on do not disturb and leaving the christmas tree in the attic as we discuss bob clark's 1974 film black christmas black christmas (laughs) excellent i love it So, before we dive into the horrors, clearly, would you like to give us a, a little synopsis? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Let me let me try my best. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas for the Pi Kappa Six sorority sisters. Last few day of term, Christmas parties to attend. The girls are getting ready to go home for the holidays, but something feels off. The house receives a series of disturbing phone calls. The caller makes sexually explicit comments and threats. After a sorority member goes missing and a local adolescent girl is murdered, the remaining girls start to suspect a serial killer is on the loose, but no one realizes just how near the culprit is. I have to say, and we were literally just talking about this before we started recording, this film terrifies me. It is It is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It is what I think it is perhaps this the most affecting slasher I've ever seen that's scared yeah. me that much. Yeah. Um and ju- I suppose just a little backstory on this is that Clelia told me to watch this last year <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Watched it in the house by myself and then proceeded to text her furious rants about how I was too scared to go upstairs. I mean, your first mistake was definitely to watch this film on your own. Yeah. On a, <laughs> on a cold, wintry night. Just me and Doug. When you, when you live in a place with a loft hatch, definitely not oh a good idea. Oh, my God. And then I was like, every time I went past loft hatch for ages after, I was just eyeing it suspiciously. Like, oh, what's that? Oh. Yeah, did I hear something? Yeah. Billy? 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 Hello? What are you doing, Billy? Billy? <laughs> I absolutely, I love introducing this film to people. Um, I, I think exactly like you said, it is my favourite slasher, um, you know, let alone Christmas slasher. I mean, it's become a tradition. Mm. I have to watch it every Christmas. Um, but I just think, and obviously we're going to, you know, deep dive into this and into, you know, it being, you know, the. I think it could have been, it should have been the blueprint for slashers in general, yeah. right? And yeah. it's kind of staggering that it didn't because it's all there and it's so so good oh my god i absolutely can't get enough of it yeah i mean it starts strong with a sinister silent night's a sinister song anyway i always think it's quite creepy anyway but Mm -hmm. you know this creepy silent night winds whipping around 
you know, we're zooming in. We've got like, mm-hmm. it did make me laugh that my notice that I've got mouth breathing killer POV comes snuffling up the drive. Asthmatic? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's like it's definitely what um, you know, one up from um, Friday the Thirteenth. Of the yeah, this one was just like, did you go for a run before? Well, why is he so out of breath? <laughs> you know, he's just he's always Snotty. out of breath. <laughs> That's just what happened. But also, like, why do people have trellises? Because I've only ever seen them as vehicles for breaking into people's homes. That's the only yeah. time I've ever seen a trellis used, and I think. Why would you have this trellis that this, you know... Are you slut-shaming houses? Are you uh, saying they're asking for it? Maybe I'm saying, you know, if it weren't so easy to get into your loft, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's so we, we come uh, into the scene, they're having the Christmas party. We first meet Barb, hard-drinking, straight-talking Barb. Oh. I love her. I, I think she is fantastic. <laughs> she's, she's the hero of the film in some respect. She, I, I think so. I think she's absolutely the hero. But then we do obviously see, uh, you know, Chekhov's loft hatch. We we understand that this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be pivotal. But what I did think when the, when we first see him, so we see him sort of creeping up the ladder into the loft. Why is there so much shit in that loft? There's a rocking ass. <laughs> <laughs> there's you know i know yeah yeah yeah. weird it makes stuff. you realize like yeah yeah for a sorority house you just think it's kind of crazy like how you know where was the house housing before because it does seem to have a yeah. really random collection of things was it an antique store i don't know is it like <laughs> what what was it i mean it is a big house to be fair but you know to have these weird relics there's a bird cage in there because we see yeah punch isn't there like a carousel it? horse as well somewhere yeah, in it like I'm a sure carousel horse like a... rocking chair as we know the rocking chair becomes pivotal <laughs> but just so much weird mm. stuff up there good partner <laughs> yeah i mean we you know we we sort of at this party we're seeing all these people everyone's packing up for christmas we a barb call a mother a gold-plated whore while someone else is kissing a <laughs> boyfriend goodbye you know, just like that's a normal thing. We assume this is normal. Yeah. Bab in her weekly phone call to her mother speaks to her like this. This is what we see. And this is an everyday occurrence in the house. It yeah. seems to be every day. Bab's talking shit again. Everybody ignore her. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody ignore her. She's had a little bit too much to drink, but we love her really. Yeah, but then I, what I find, and, and I think about, um, I thought about this when I was watching it is, so then we obviously get the first dirty phone call. They're so disgusting and disturbing. Really are. Oh really my God, horrible. Yeah. I think I made a notice like seven or eight minutes in the film mm. and a cunt has been said five times yeah. or like in the space of 30 <laughs> seconds. I was like, for, you know, 1974, yeah. you're kind of like... I mean, obviously, you know, the censors hadn't, you know, really put their put their dirty paws on uh, yeah. you know, on horror films quite yet, which is why that was able to you know, to come through. But yeah, that's really staggering, isn't it? It's it's really. I was surprised by how often he would call it. He was referring to cunts, piggy cunt. <laughs> yeah. He says at one point, piggy cunt. Yeah, <laughs> pretty. pretty like, it made me laugh because yeah. I think he said, I think he says pretty pink cunt. Yeah, but um, but they, for some reason on my uh, the, the video that I. I have the, the subtitle came as pretty pig can't I, I think of, oh, he alternates because I heard pink and then yeah. I heard pig and I thought oh, I don't know whether okay. he's complimenting or insulting here at this stage I mean 
You don't know exactly. what he's doing. Make up your mind, Billy. Yeah, come on. What do you want, Billy? What do you like me or not? What's happening? But yeah, so they get this really horrible phone call. Very disturbing. It's really vile. Barb, the hero, stands up to him. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And but then I did think that. Um, Again, I don't know her name. I only know Barb's name. She made an impression on me. But one of the so others, Jess, Jess, Jess is the... no, not Jess. The the one. So who... we've got uh, we've got we've got Claire, the the, the first victim. Claire, um, it's Claire. Yeah, Claire. Okay. Claire buttoned up. Claire says to oh, her, you yes. know, she criticizes her like, don't provoke him. And you think, well, why can't she? You're not doing out, Claire. You're just standing there exactly. clutching pearls. You're not doing anything. She's not provoking him. She's just responding. Yeah, saying so you know, don't like talk about my. Herself. Piggy genitals, thank you. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very self-conscious about this, thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> leave, my, leave my animal genitals out of this, Billy, thank you. You know, so, but... Exactly. It, Let's not make this personal, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, I mean, there is that moment that, and I do think, when we'll probably talk about this more as we talk about film, that in how it represents, like, you know, misogyny and gender politics, it is still relevant but for its time very forward mm-hmm. thinking i think yeah. because you know you have that moment where she's like oh why don't you just you know fuck off you creep don't talk to me like that and then he just he's doing all these grunting and he's gross and then his voice just changes and he goes i'm gonna kill yes. you i'm gonna kill you yeah i and know it's, it's chilling. so blood curdling yeah yeah mm-hmm. and it, it is it's it blood really curdling is. it really is and she don't really she sort of goes oh yeah and puts phone down but when you're watching it and obviously you know it's a slasher and everything else but it's so yeah it, your blood just goes cold doesn't it i know because that's when you know it, it, it shifts that's when you kind of realize yeah. this isn't well obviously even if it was a prank call that would be you know a really crass prank to you know to pull but you know but when this shift happened when you know his voice drops and he just says no i'm gonna kill you mm. you just it, it feels so no. threatening and you you know you yeah it's it's so yeah it's very super vulnerable yeah. but what i was gonna say also is that i really appreciate the fact that actually this film and you know being you know ad, you know um arguably the first north american slasher mm. and you know we're so used to you know slashers being you know everybody says you know the representation of women in slasher is so bad and blah blah it's and that and you know if, if you don't have sex you you know you mm. it, you know you get to be the final girl in this, this but actually the first victim is the most buttoned up yeah. um, um character in the film so you know there is it's kind of like he flips the script on its head before the script was rich was, was written so in fact it's like it's what happened afterwards that flipped yeah. that screen on that script on its head <laughs> yeah no that's really interesting because i think yeah the, you know the the women in this film and it is very obviously it's centered on women because it's in this sorority house but they're all very um real relatable women you know barb drinks too much and runs her mouth jess has got her own issues that will come on to mm-hmm. mrs mac house mother extraordinaire is fantastic <laughs> and and but they're all very uh real you know they're not they're not yeah. picture perfect they're not um they're just living they're not car- caricatures yeah. either they're not they're not parody no. of like of sorority sisters right yeah so it's just i think in that way they're represented i mean obviously there's there's violence against them and because it wouldn't be a slasher otherwise but it don't feel yeah, like yeah, it yeah. does in some other f- films like this where it's just as you just 
they're just slasher fodder. They're just there to be killed. They're not really characters. Yeah. They're not developed. In this, they are all very developed and distinct. And very, exactly. You, yeah. You care. You care for them. I think what's you know so what's really interesting is this. So, so this came. This came out in seventy four. Halloween was um, you know came out in seventy eight. So four years after that. And Carpenter said that he was really inspired by mm. Black Christmas when he when he made Halloween and therefore. You know, it's interesting because Halloween is always regarded as, you know, the the blueprint for yeah. slashers and because, you know, you cared for the character. Although I think that's quite arguable, you know, arguable in my opinion, because I think you care for Laurie. You don't care for any of other friends mm. rather than in Black Christmas. I think you do care for the um, mm. you do care for the girls in that in the house. So um, it's kind of weird thinking about this, that, um you know that taking all this into account slashes and the horror genre in general as we said has been you know this representation for representing women in a terrible way mm. because it started so brilliantly with black christmas and this film should have been the blueprint but instead what then happened is um you know carpenter took the inspiration from black christmas but kind of like stripped away yeah. the story down to basics to fo focus on the suspense and the scare and so we have you know that one interesting character laurie uh, laurie sorry and then, as we've discussed in another episode of this podcast, Sean Cunningham then made Friday the 13th and looked at <laughs> Halloween and then stripped down the themes even further to get to the gore instead. Yeah. So unfortunately, then the subsequent, you know, slashes then, you know, have taken uh, inspiration from, you know, from those films. So it came, you know, it started really well and then kind of became, you know, the, you know, a, a a degenerate version of what it should have been, which is, you know, kind of infuriating in a way. It really is. Like, I'd not realised that until you've just sort of laid it out. And, and you know, it's, it is infuriating because there was so much potential that's been yeah, wasted. Exactly. And, but again, it's that, as you've said, it's about what is the focus. So I, I've, I don't think Friday the 13th is remotely scary in any way. Yeah. And that's probably because there's no character development, really. Mm -hmm. Whereas Black Christmas is really frightening. In its, you know, the it's it, the suspense is there, the the gore is there. I mean, really good effects, you know, practical yeah. effects. And it's got it all, but the, you've still got these characters that are well defined and 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 exactly. individual. So it's possible, We're people. It can yes, be exactly. Rewatching it, uh, rewatching re it, I was reminded what you said when when you watch, you know, when we watched Friday the Thirteenth, and you were saying, you know, there isn't enough, there isn't enough killings, and you know, in the stories, and in, you know, isn't interesting mm -hmm. enough, and you know, Black Christmas. So the first kill comes quite quickly. I think ten minutes in is yeah. when you know uh, Claire's murder ha happens, but after that, it's like forty minutes into the film. Yeah. So you know, there's quite it's quite a big gap, and uh, there isn't a lot of murders actually in in in, in Black Christmas, but it's so you know the suspense is building so brilliantly and everything that happens mm. in between you're so involved in, yeah. in in the lives of these characters you know the scene with them um, with Jess when she goes to see P Peter and and yeah. announce that she wants an abortion it's kind of like it's almost you know it's taking out of the um, of the main narrative but it's it's, it's just so gripping yeah. it's all part of the um you know of the um, yeah of the same tapestry so it's yeah, excellent really yeah i think so the pace of it is so good mm -hmm. because like say it keeps you gripped even though there's there's patches of time when you know not, not that nothing's happening but nothing you know related to to the serial yeah. killer hiding in the loft it's happening yeah. yeah exactly but i do have to say that you know in terms of claire i do think that if i saw someone peeking at me through a, a plastic bag 
out of my wardrobe, my first instinct would probably not be to walk towards that person and go, who's that? <laughs> that might not be my first instinct. Perhaps it's because I've seen films like Black Christmas, but if I saw a face exactly. coming at me through a, you know, a dry cleaning bag, I would probably, <laughs> self-preservation might kick in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, it's kind of funny because she thinks it's the, does she think it's the cat or something? Which kind of makes no sense either because you're like, do it keeps you think that human it? face yeah. is a cat? Because they're all this fucking Claude. I mean, Claude the cat <laughs> Claude. Is, is an accomplice in this because every really time, is. maybe Claude, you know, maybe he's in on it. Maybe he would get in dreamies. Well, or, yeah. How did he know? make his way in the attic otherwise? Because yeah. you know, of this shot of him on the, you know, on the rocking chair licking the face of Paul Claire with her with with the plastic with bag, bag over her face. Head. And you're kind of like, you know, it's Claude. Claude is on yeah. it. Definitely. Claude Claude let him in. Claude's doing it for the dreamies or for a tin of tuna or something. Claude's in on it. We all know. But they're all looking for Claude. Claude, where's Claude? And so but this guy's so weird, he keeps like meowing at him and stuff, doesn't he? And I think yeah. I think he's him <laughs> doing the meowing. Yeah. I know yeah, who knows at this stage. <laughs> but you know and then we get to meet mrs mike which is marvelous she's got bottles of sherry in all of her house she's brushing her teeth wearing a pillbox hat i mean just what a character <laughs> what a brilliant character about that did you know that they they originally offered the role of mrs mac to be, um betty davis rather oh. than um than <laughs> we have in the film and she and she turned it down which is such a shame but that would have been amazing saying this that would have been amazing, exactly. But saying this, I think that uh, the actress who plays who plays her, Marion Wardman, is she's fantastic in she's the role. Fantastic. Honestly, she's she like, is fantastic. She's just so great. It's what's really, but it's such as well as being really, you know, chilling and frightening. It's really funny as well. There's so much humor mm-hmm. in it, There's particularly from humor, Mrs. Mac. Like, so Claire's dad comes looking for her, and you know he's like disgusted by her room, and she's got posters like free love posters. And and what really made me laugh so much so that I made a note of it is he's obviously critiquing Mrs. Mac like your house mother. You know why are you letting them mm-hmm. run around like this? And there's a bit where she says these broads would fuck the Leaning Tower of Pisa if they could climb up <laughs> if there. They could climb up there. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love that. I love that. So I read funny. a lot. Um, there's kind of a lot of arguments saying that she's, um, you know, she's uh, she's part of the, you know, misogynistic aspect of the, um, you know, of the film that she's not, you know, on the side of the gods. But I, I, I kind of disagree, actually. Mm. I think she's pretty, you know, she's pretty lax, obviously, but she doesn't do anything for an easy, easy life. But, you know, I think she, do, she does care about those girls. Yeah. She does think that they, you know, they, I don't think they're when... adults and they're brand new life. Well, that's it. They're all adults. The you know, they can do what they want. And when she says that, I don't, I don't take that as a misogynist thing for her to say i think she's just saying you know the young sexually liberated women exactly who are gonna do what they want regardless of what the dad thinks and you know like your dad's a square coming in with his little glasses yeah little you know but it's yeah it's just the reality isn't it the young the they're at college Mm -hmm. you know they're doing what they want yeah and she's no authority on them really yeah i don't think that she's i think she is very um very caring towards them but also very drunk (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> she's on par with barb definitely yeah, I think her and barb, and barb, if yeah. they could get on <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean we've talked about jess and and i think it's you know it's very modern in its politics in terms of the fact that so she's pregnant she tells peter mm-hmm. peter's the worst peter is the worst the and he worst. can't play the piano for shit by the way he's someone's shit... going to the conservatory oh. oh he's a shit pianist he blames her for that like it's her fault that you're rubbish 
you know, uh-huh. clank, clanking away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that scene where he plays in front of each professor, I was kind of like, dude, give, so give up. Like, this is... <laughs> How embarrassing, exactly. Like, have you ever touched a piano before? Yeah, have you ever touched exactly. one? I mean, have you seen one before? Do you know what a piano is? <laughs> have, have you mixed it up with another instrument? Like, what's happening here? Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. He's a lot better at smashing it than he's at playing it. For yeah. Smashing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, he's the worst. But I think, you know, she's very much... I don't even know why she tells him, to be fair. And I'm sure after she's mm-hmm. told him, she thinks, why did I bother? Because he's like, I want us to get married. We'll get married. So I don't want to marry you. And he's as mm-hmm. though he's so affronted, as though, well, this solves everything. We'll get married. And she's like, How I don't want to marry you, Peter. Yeah. You can't play a piano. You look shit in a polo neck. And, you know, you're not going to make a living <laughs> as a, a musician. Rag, honestly. You're a weirdo. You're not making a living as a musician. Are you going to support us? You know, I'm not involved. I'm yeah. not getting involved with this. So that's, but I really like that. I like that it weren't like, yeah. oh, we're going to get married because she's pregnant. And she was like, yeah, problem solved. She's really quite detached, I think, from the very beginning um, as well. You know, when she takes her call, bef- before we even find out that she's pregnant and yeah. she's, you know, seeking to get an abortion and, you know, she's on the phone and he's like, um, I love you. And she's like, I know. I know. <laughs> she's like the worst response ever. <laughs> it's like, oh, dude, that, oh, that's going to hurt. Brutal, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, oh, when exactly. she said it, I went, ooh. Yeah, oh, I wouldn't like to be you. I love you. I know. Ooh, I know, yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, I know about that. Um, No, yeah, I think it's great. What I really like is that all the, you know, the girls have, you know, such strong relationships. I mean, they're, you know, I I love the fact that there there are no um, relationship politics in that, you know, in the house. Mm. They, you know, they're all either in relationship or shagging someone or, you know, whatever. Mm. But, you know, they don't care. Like, it's almost like the, the men, you know, that they're with are kind of an after- afterthought. They are very much like there for one another. Yeah. And, you know, you, you don't know, obviously, if, um, I, I can't remember. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows that Jess is pregnant and going to get an abortion. I can't remember if she has that discussion with the other girls. But you can tell that this wouldn't be like, you know, that yeah. th- that they wouldn't be kind of like, oh, well, are you, how, what are you going to do? Are you going to marry Peter? Because that's your, your only option. You yeah, know? <laughs> absolutely. I think it is very modern. It feels it feels yeah. more modern than a lot of films that came after it in terms of how it approaches women and sex and the sexuality and and you know women's relationships. No, it's it's definitely a um, a sign of the time as well. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. so the film is Canadian, and in 1968, the uh, the the federal government in Canada passed the um, uh, the law that helped legalize abortion and contraception. Um, so, you know, the film was made, you know, five years later after that. And and I think the film kind of ex- exemplifies this cultural shift, which is, you know, amazing to, again, to, to find a film that is embracing mm-hmm. that, you know, and kind of not making it the main the main plot as well because like, like as we said yeah. it's kind of like it's uh you know it branches branches out in lots of different direction but you know it could the, the film could have happened the same way you know if jess hadn't been pregnant but yeah. it brings a, a different dimension and a different dimension to billy's calls as well i was thinking because there's a lot of there's lots that's been said about you know his backstory and you know why you know, he's making all these you know he's got like, all these different voices but he keeps saying some, something about the baby mm. and you know people are like well, is it because he's been in the house long enough that he's heard 
that Jess is pregnant and seeking to get an abortion. Mm. Um, I don't think it's that, but it's kind of an interesting theory. Yeah, because it's like, where'd you put the baby, Billy? Ooh, yeah. gross. <laughs> so gross. And like, yeah. you know, where's Agnes, Agnes? You know, it's like, but the, I know. the calls themselves, when you can hear him talking, I mean, it's a, it, it became very old hat, this like psychosexual serial killer, didn't it? It, mm-hmm. the, everybody were doing it but at this yeah. point we probably only really had norman bates really i would say mm-hmm. um so it, yeah. it, it weren't old at in that respect and you when he's you know creating on phone and he's screaming about babies and agnes and you know you don't know what's going off and he's doing all these voices it's so like immersive it makes you feel yeah. like you're so uncomfortable it makes you feel like I think that's the thing with this that other slashers don't do. There's a real, like, visceral reaction to it because mm-hmm. it's so well, it's so well done. But also that it's like when he's talking and you can't really tell what he's saying, and you you know they're on phone and you feel like, oh, imagine if somebody and he, and he keeps phoning and you think, why do you keep answering your phone? But it's that thing about you know ringing phones have to be answered, don't they? You've got to answer phone. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah. It's just every time they pick it up and it's him, you just think, oh, no, not again. <laughs> I know, exactly. It does make me love that Jess is always kind of like, I mean, because she's, um, uh, so the uh, the actress is, you can tell she's like a very classically trained actress, right? I was going to ask you about this actually um, afterwards, what, what do you think of the choice, of the casting choice? But um, Olivia Hasse is, you know, I think it, she's fantastic in the role, but she's obviously a very, very classically tra- uh, trained actress. And every time she picks up the phone and, you know, you you think if you were picking up the phone and you'd hear that there's no noises like you know your reaction would be maybe a different what she's just like hello 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 hello, hello? <laughs> so, who's there <laughs> expecting you know it's, it's almost like she's picking up this phone and she thinks like people are having an argument on the phone and eventually they're going to be like oh shit sorry i'm on the, i'm on the other line hang on yeah <laughs> let me teach that girl <laughs> one of the things i did notice though is that the men's fashion in this film is insane so when Peter's play, why did Peter take his blazer off when he was wearing a polo neck at that recital? So he's sweating all over these this piano. I don't want to go after him. There's that guy who comes Claire's boyfriend who's wearing like a Rocky Balboa fur coat, which I is marvellous. I know. I know. I'm, honestly, I was kind of like, this guy wins. It was like, oh. And I couldn't, apart from the obvious that I was like, how... No, that sounds really mean. I was going to say, what would a guy like this be with, you know, someone who's so buttoned up? That's very unfair to say this. But <laughs> but yeah, he, had, he definitely had like the most pimpy look yeah. <laughs> in the film. He just keeps coming in in this big fur coat and you're like, oh, where have you been? Where, where are you going? I love it when he like, when he gets in, you know, in, in the police station. Oh, I was yeah. kind of like, oh my God, shit is about to, you know, to, to hit the fan. Yeah, but I mean, he seems like quite a nice... So although the men are quite uh, superfluous in it, I do think mm-hmm. he seems like a good egg. We've got Peter, who's a knobhead, who's vile, mm-hmm. who, you know, calls her a bitch. And then she... what I like about her, though, is every time he's being, like, hysterical, she just turns it back on him. She's like, what's wrong with you? Why yes. are you being like this? <laughs> I yes, really like I know, that. I love it. Exactly. So detached. But she's just like, yeah. Feel your feelings, Peter. Over it. Feel your feelings. <laughs> I know. That's fine. <laughs> I know. No problem. But then we get the the detective in the film really irritates yeah. me because every single thing that any woman says to him, he goes, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> she says to him something like, um, oh, uh, yeah. Did you tell him today about being pregnant? And she goes, yeah. Are you sure? 
Yeah, Are you sure? it was today. It was about an hour ago. Yes, I remember every single thing they say. It's just like, are you sure about that? He said it's the best out of a bad bunch, though. To be fair, I mean, every you know, like, it's definitely this film is very much a cab, right? But like this yeah. man, at least I feel like he doesn't, he doesn't waste too much time being kind of like, you know, oh, get out of my face. Like, you know, she'll yeah. she'll come back. She's at her boyfriend, you know. Um, and also, I mean, I'm pretty biased because um, he's played by John Saxon, who um, was in, you know, was heralded as the first Jello film, uh, the girl who knew too much from Mario Bava. So. I'm kind of like that's proper slash of royalty here in that film so, yeah. <laughs> so just for that i'm kind of like he's all right he's, yeah but you're right he's very um yeah he's very uh colombo you know yeah you sure you're sure <laughs> but again i suppose that feeds into that wider sort of commentary on mm-hmm. what the so these women are being terrorized by this unseen man and they're going for help and police like you say it's not that they ignore him but there is an element of, are you sure you're not just hysterical? And then there's a bit of, are you sure yes. it's not just one of your boyfriends? Well, yes, no, why, w- why would he do that? But why wouldn't he do that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's all very... Yes, exactly. Are you sure? Although there, I, I thought that there was um, there's a moment in the film that's absolutely brilliant and made me think, oh, I wonder if, like, you know, Scream was a little... Um, uh, uh, influenced by it is when uh, Jess comes back to the house and she's on the phone and you you know you see the point of view um, you know of, of what you mm. assume is the killer coming downstairs and you think oh my she, she's gonna get it yeah. and then it's Peter and then you st- you know for a split second you think uh-huh. could it be him is it like Pete? you know yeah. could it be him um, yeah so you know which I thought was kind of brilliant you know all of a sudden it's kind of like, oh is this film turning into a whodunit yeah. <laughs> but it turns out no it's no not. no it's not red herring. Peter's a Peter's a knobhead and a red herring, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think what I really loved as well is so we you know we're all familiar with the trope of keep him on the line. You've got to keep him on the line so we can get a trace. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it's going to take like fifteen minutes, and we we realise it's because there's one guy working at a phone company who was running up and down <laughs> these aisles trying to find where this other phone is ringing. And I thought, is this how people laugh. used to have to do this? <laughs> Just running up and down trying to find it. Keep him on the phone. You've got to keep him on the phone for. 45 minutes this is a really big place I've got to get up and down <laughs> I know that whole process of tracking the call I did find you know really fascinating and like you said I mean he made you look like he made it look that there was only one person working for that you know working yeah, at that just company this one guy. so uh, you know, <laughs> too many people on hold um but you know I think you know looking at it from you know, point of view of, you know, technology and thinking, you know, now you wouldn't be able obviously, to do a, a film that's based on that because, mm. you know, they can trace calls immediately. But I did, I did find like it really, you know, um, really fed into, you know, the, um, the suspense. Yeah. And even though as, you know, the audience, we know obviously that he's in the house, the moment where, you know, the, the lieutenant is on the phone and, you know, they say, you know, the, the call is, you know, call, coming from the house, it kind of, like it's really like um, such a powerful moment yeah. like shit you know <laughs> yeah well and it's really interesting as well thinking about like when we were talking about urban legends as part of summer slasher mm-hmm. miniseries um if you've not listened listen now um <laughs> go back and listen but you know that the call is the babysitter urban legend the call is yes. coming from inside the house you know it really picks up on that and that's 
like yeah. that really well-known sort of fear you know that someone i mean now we don't have it because no one's got landlines anymore so it just no, be exactly. the call is coming from the killer's iphone it's inside the house you'd be like well i would expect that <laughs> yeah that's fine exactly yeah no big surprise yeah yeah but about this actually that i found out that the, the urban legend uh you know dates back only from the 1960s mm. so um you know so it was only you know it was still really quite recent when the film was made yeah. and there was only at this stage i think only a few films that been made to to reference um this but more disturbingly i mean I don't, you don't know you might be talking about this a little bit later and although i know we we don't want to go down the route of true crime but what i didn't know is that obviously the uh, the urban legend legend although i suppose fair enough there's never you know smoke without fire mm. but it's very much based on um you know on on, on, a, on a murder that um you know that was very that happened in very similar circumstances yeah. that's Ooh. quite um yeah, <laughs> no i'm so not anyway, touching on that people can read about it online <laughs> Yeah, yeah, people can read about it online, but we won't, you know, we won't really be discussing it here. Well, I think as well, reason why I find this so frightening and that other people might not is because like home invasion is my absolute worst nightmare. So I don't really watch home invasion films very often. You know, if that's like the Mm -hmm. central point of the film, like what's that? Horrible. The Collector. I've not seen it. I don't know. Is it called that? Anyway, this is a a ridiculous That that little funny game for me, funny games for me is is one that I'm like, no, no, I I can't. Yeah, Yeah. it is so scary that. And I think, oh, like The Strangers, that did it as well, Mm -hmm. didn't it? Yeah. Oh, there we go. We've got recommendations out of the way early. <laughs> if you like home invasion. Well, or our, our non-recommendations for sure. <laughs> but I, I think that's why it's so scary because he's just that there's... So we know there is there. They don't know he is. And obviously it's a busy house. There's people in and out all the time. So it's not like you'd necessarily notice. And, and I think the way that it uses Christmas time is really effective because people are leaving to go home. So they're not noticed, you know, Mrs. Mac's supposed to be leaving to go to her sister, so they don't know that she's swinging from a big hook in attic. It's it's like, (laughs) poor Mrs. Mac. But it's it's things like that that really make it work, I think. But the the idea that someone is like hiding in your loft is so frightening. And then there's a a scene where you can see, I think it's when... um, might be when Jess and Phil are talking at bottom at stairs and you see his shadow move over top at stairs and it's just in background yes. and it just reminds you that he's there all the time. It's just this presence lurking and he's he's just, and you know, he's hiding in the bedrooms and he's he's moving around as he, freely and they don't know where he is. And I think that's what's so scary mm-hmm. about it as well. Um, yeah. She says, recording this in an house by herself. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, not the best move that we've done. But no, no, I think, yeah, yeah, to echo exactly what you've said, um, it's weird because it's not an, a home invasion film in the, in the um, you know, purest sense of the term because mm. obviously you know you they the characters at least only realize that it is a home invasion at the very last hour yeah. um you know when it's too late in fact but uh but you know as the audience we know that and you know and, and it, it, i think it's really hard to pull that off right for you know you would think that actually knowing something at the beginning of the film would make you know would make it not very exciting to yeah. watch but in fact it's like it's just because of those shadow plays and you know those little moments mm. and you know those point of views and and then the phone calls i think it keeps you hooked as to like you know when are they gonna when is the, the yeah. penny finally gonna drop yeah yeah it's and, just I, a- and i think what i like about it as well is even though it uses like killer point of view and we see a lot of what he's doing 
It never does mm-hmm. that really gross thing that some films do where you're meant to identify with killer. You're meant to see yourself through yes. that lens. It it don't, because I really hate that. Because I think, why would I want to, you know, it's not my bag. But with it, the way that they do it in this film, you never feel as though you're meant to be taking that role. It's just that it's just so you can, mm-hmm. if anything, it makes you feel more for the women that don't know he's there. You know, it's, it's as though oh, yeah. you're the one that's being watched rather than the one doing the watching. But it's really interesting yeah. how they managed to do that when they are using his point of view, I think. Exactly. And I think, you know, again, um, in terms of, you know, slashers being criticized for, um, you know, taking a lot of voyeuristic pleasure Mm. in, you know, dispatching women in horrible ways. I think this film, what this film did very um, cleverly is that, as you said, you know, he uses those point of view shots, but, you know, the, the murders themselves, even though, you know, it is it's graphic without being graphic, yeah. if that makes any sense, because you see what you need to see. And at the same time, it's, you know, it's just enough, like for your minds to fill, mm. you know, your mind to fill, fill the blanks. And it's just the, you know, it's just so, so much more effective. I mean, I think um, I was going to talk actually next about the, um, the murder scenes, but like, mm. you know, the, the, the most, which is going to find, which is going to sound really awful to say, but actually what I think is one of the most incredible death scenes in the slasher is Bob's death. Yeah. You know, it, I just think it is, it's been done so absolutely mm. perfectly. You know, this keeps cutting between, you know, her, you know, her in the bedroom and the carolers outside. Yeah. And, you know, as we know, is there anything more creepy than having people <laughs> singing whilst looking, like, whilst giving you direct eye contact? <laughs> Anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows me and clearly yeah. cannot abide people singing at us. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, absolutely. You remember my shocked, my shock horror when I thought that uh, this is what you were planning on doing was to sing the folklore corner of this episode. I was like, you're no. not going to sing. You're not going to sing, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I think this scene is just you know incredibly, yeah, incredibly effective. You know, with the and you don't see much. In fact, you know, I think I was remind. You know, I was trying to remember it before rewatching it, and you know, I thought it was a lot more graphic than than it is but in mm. fact it's it's a bit you know it's a bit like psycho you know you, yeah. you, don't, you don't see you see a little bit of blood but actually not much of it um but you know your, your mind definitely fills those horrible blanks <laughs> for you but i think that's really true and that's probably why it endures as well as it does because it's not really really graphic and you know that scene mm-hmm. with barb she's in bed in a later slasher she'd have been naked a topless at least that's yeah. what they'd have done and then you'd have seen her getting stabbed while she's topless when there's no need for it and in this it, it's just it's horrible because obviously he uses rather uh, inventively a crystal unicorn yes, with which to dispatch I poor know. barb but it's quite giallo-esque I think that scene. It is. You know, you 100%. can see her hand goes back and she's smashing through all these crystal figurines mm-hmm. and then it's like cutting between these it's really the the way that it's that these sorts of scenes are framed in it, I think are so well done. Just brilliantly done. Yes. And and yeah, quite um 
quite yeah quite giallo-esque i can't say any more than that really just very yeah no no I, yeah i agree i think mm. it's like the, the you know the obviously the the flashes of red when he's yeah. you know, stabbing her with the unicorn and then you know it cuts to jess you know framed in the door frame with the that that you know remarkable christmas spree yeah. from their door which has you know that that string of, of red lights around it and it's kind of like yeah. it calls you know um you know each you know both shots are very you know, similar, and the fact that he ends with Jess, you know, clapping the carolers, mm. you know, just as you know, her friends just died upstairs. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah it's it's a lot. <laughs> it is. It's it's brilliant. I do think that, and I like Jess, but the only, and I suppose, to make her the the final girl, I guess they have to do this. Mm-hmm. But at the end, when she's shouting him, when when policeman's yeah. gone, get out of the house. The car's coming from inside the house, and she's like, "Phil, Bab," and I and at me notice oh, no. if they could have answered, they would have get the fuck out of the house. <laughs> yes, if I they know. could have said, "We're coming," <laughs> they would have <laughs> assume. Hold on, darling. <laughs> what are you screaming about? What's going on? You know, know, and they don't. But I think I need to make explicit reference, if only for me to process my own uh, trauma around it. To what I think is actually one of the scariest moments in any horror film I've seen, which is mm-hmm. when she does go upstairs to look for Phil and Barb. And she opens the door, she sees them both dead and the, the staged on bed together is obviously, you know, done it in a... Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. It's this grisly tableau and she sees it. She obviously, understandably, falls to the ground. But then looks and through the crack in the door sees this oh, fucking guy's eye poking through <laughs> gapping door. And then he's saying... But then he's like, where's the baby, Billy? Where'd you put the baby? Oh, it's... No. Uh, oh, Oh, God, it's so frightening. First time I watched it last year, that's when I started texting you expletives. <laughs> just, just what why is... What, why have you done this? I thought we were friends. Why, why have you exposed me to this? <laughs> and it's honestly it's so frightening. So, mm-hmm. More so than anything else. It's just... And I think it's because it's that idea that even more so than, than like in Scream where you're being chased by somebody in a mask and you can't see who they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the fact that it's someone looking at you, but you can't... What I think is the best thing that they do with the killer in this film is you never see him. So yes, you never know exactly. who he is. Never you never see is. his yeah, face. Yeah. All you ever see is like you see his hands and you see his, his eye and you eye. see... Is I put, but you never see him, and that's what makes it so frightening because there's no re- there's no uh, relief like when the killer mm-hmm. is unmasked. You know, there's no relief to that. Um, that's what stays with you, I think. Is and obviously, yes. you know, we we have the big basement scene where she thinks that Peter's done it, and I mean, Peter had it coming. I'm not saying he should go oh, yeah, down definitely. for maybe like six homicides. It's almost like I, I always find like, oh, is that scene was that scene really necessary? But it wasn't necessary because, you know, we, we needed to get rid of Peter. We needed to get rid of <laughs> anyway, Peter. So. Peter got what he had coming. That's my note. Exactly. Peter had it coming. But what mm-hmm. we see then as the viewer is obviously in the aftermath and, and you know, she's um, sedated. Jess is sedated. And then it goes from, I'll stay with her till her parents get here to everyone just leaving her on her own, unconscious. Isn't that so terrible? Yeah, they're just like, oh, well, it's probably fine, so we'll just leave now. It's just... (laughs) But what that expert bit of last tension does is because I'd forgotten and I kept thinking, does he come out from under bed? And if he does, I'm going to go hysterical because that's like my worst thing in horror (laughs) films when something pops up from under bed. 
But uh-huh. so it scans over all rooms and you're just waiting for him. You think he's here, isn't yes. he? We know he's here. Is he here? And then here? we just hear the creak of the loft arch, the telltale loft arch. <sighs> and it and then it pulls back and we see poor Claire. She's been in window all through filming rocking chair. She's just left no one's noticed. No oh, one's no. noticed her. Just... No one's even. No one even gone to you know to look in the in the attic. How fucking terrible! How awful! Yeah, they were searching house. No one bothered to search attic. No. Um, but yeah. So and then it pulls back, obviously, and then we phone ring, and then it, it's such. It is such a good ending. It is like a perfect mm-hmm. ending. I think complete silence yeah. and that ringtone is just yeah, it's so chilling. It's the it's it's the, it's the perfect slasher. I'm sorry. I agree. Five, you know, five out of five no notes. Yeah, five out of five no notes. <laughs> I abs- I would absolutely agree that it, I think it. I would say, and you know, I don't like lists, but I would say it is my favorite slasher. I love Halloween because yeah. I love Laurie. You know, we love Jamie Lee Curtis on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of the, you know, a, a slasher that is a, a perfect example of what a slasher could be and should be, I don't think that Black Christmas is that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you've said it. You've said it, sister. <laughs> Definitive. <laughs> Definitive. So... Shall we journey to Fort Larkana then? Yes, please. I can't wait to hear what you've got for this week. <laughs> as I've as I've mentioned, uh, home invasion not being my bag, I decided rather than focusing on terrifying stories of real life Christmas home invasions, Fabulous. I thought we could look at some more horrible festive creatures, a la Krampus. So that's the direction <laughs> we're going in. So what we're looking at today is, let me pronounce this right, Calicantzaros. I think that's okay, pronounced that? right. <laughs> this is a malevolent creature found in folklore from Greece, Bulgaria, Turkey, Serbia, Albania, Cyprus and Bosnia. So it's quite widespread. Slight variation uh-huh. in each place, of course. So these malevolent creatures live underground for most of the year and they come to the surface during the 12 days of Christmas, much like Perchter, who we discussed uh, in the Krampus episode, which runs from the 25th of December to the 6th of January. Now, I think it's quite interesting that a lot of Christmas folklore centres on this period, but it is this is the winter solstice and this is a time during which the sun ceases its seasonal movement. Yes. Oh. So obviously there's something there um, sense, around yeah. this uh, the sun abandoning us. <laughs> For, for 12 days. Um, yes, and malevolent creatures coming out yes. to play. So this is when these uh, creatures come up to the surface. And it's suggested that the name comes from the Greek for beautiful uh, centaur. However, a second theory suggests that it comes from the Turkish for kara, which means black, and konkolos, which means werewolf or bloodsucker which I prefer. <laughs> that seems... Yes, much better. <laughs> um, and so in Greek folklore, it's believed that they stay underground, sewing away at the tree that holds the earth in place um, mm-hmm. and that, because they're trying to make the earth collapse. However, when the final piece of the tree is about to come away, thus ensuring that the earth itself will collapse, Christmas comes and they're able to leave their underground caverns and they come up to the surface and totally forget about this tree. So that they can, so they can go and torment. <laughs> <apply anymore. laughs> yeah, so they can go and torment p- human beings for a few days, but on Epiphany, which is the sixth of January, the sun starts to move again, and so they're forced back underground. But they see that during this time, the tree has healed itself, and so this starts all over again, which is much like um, 
Prome- is it Prometheus who has to roll that thing that mount? No. Yeah, Prometheus is the other one who gets his liver pecked yes. out. Yes. Much like that. So, you know, the Greeks like a story where it resets. <laughs> and you've got to start the punishment again again and again and again Uh, so (laughs) there's no standard description of them but some descriptions say that they have a horrible odour animal parts like horse legs and bar tusks (laughs) and red eyes so this is one version but they're usually male and often have prominent genitals which is an interesting (laughs) detail that's an interesting detail yeah yeah. much like (laughs) Billy we assume So the That's mo- it, cracked it. <laughs> the most common belief is that the small, like black humanoid creatures with long tails, and this said to resemble little black devils. So I suppose perhaps a pitchfork tail. I'm not sure. Some very interesting drawings of them around, uh, particularly with the prominent genitals. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they speak with a lisp, love to eat frogs and worms, and are mostly blind. We assume because they spend most of the year underground, like moles. What the lisp's about, I couldn't say. That was just a detail that I, <laughs> that I picked up on. <laughs> so the scene is creatures of the night, a la werewolves, etc. Um, and so we're going to discuss now the best way to ward them off, which I find personally mm-hmm. to be a quite a, a delightful, if unusual, series of tasks that you might need to do. So the best way to ward them off is to leave a colander on your doorstep. Now that... <laughs> That's easy enough. It's <laughs> easy enough. Just put a colander outside. Now, the reason for this is that they can only count to two because three is thought to be a holy number. I assume it's like Father, Son and Holy Ghost. So right. if they count to three, they'll die. So because they can only mm. count to two, they become transfixed on counting the holes in the colander until the sun rises and then they have to run and hide until nighttime. So <laughs> okay, keep your colanders at the ready, people. Um, but then an annual tradition is to throw lucamades, which are syrup-filled donuts, and sausages onto your roof. And you sing a song, and it's said that once this is done, the, the Calicantzaros will eat your offering and will return underground. So a few sausages, <laughs> singing a song. I mean, you've got to get them on the roof. You know what? You know, but... Yes, get, but... You know, get someone with a good arm. Sort of th- get that guy yeah. from sleepaway camp, that guy with arm like a cannon. Get... <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> cracked it again um but also you can also burn incense or mark your door with a cross to keep them away now a la krampus you can keep a fire burning to prevent them coming down the chimney or keep a yule log burning or this one's pretty i mean i would rather have the Calicanzaros in the house than do this, but some have suggested throwing foul-smelling shoes into the fire as the stench will keep them away. (laughs) (laughs) Tried and tested. (laughs) Tried and tested. (laughs) Like, who's got all these disgusting rotten shoes hanging about just to throw in fire? In the fire they go. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously, then you'd have to live with the stink, but then if you're burning incense as well, maybe it masks it, I don't know. Um, it said that any child born during the 12 days of Christmas is at risk of turning into a Calicanzaros once they reach adulthood. So to avoid this, babies who are born in this time are trussed up in garlic and straw or have the toenails singed. Mm, Quite how okay. you singe a baby's toenails, <laughs> I am not entirely sure. Yeah, how? <laughs> you can see why this captured me, I think, at this point. We've got disgusting yeah, smelling yeah, shoes. Yeah, yeah. Intriguing. Burning baby's feet, you know, throwing sausages on roofs. <laughs> it's got it all. <laughs> it's got it all, exactly. What's not your love? 
Uh, and it said that anyone born on a Saturday can converse with Calicut Zaros. So if any listeners were born on a Saturday, there's a skill you didn't know you had. Mm-hmm. Give it a try. <laughs> Give it uh, a try this festive season. <laughs> um, and then the last sort of incarnation of this beast is in Serbian folklore. So the 12 days of Christmas are seen as unbaptized days. Um, and this is when demonic forces are more active and dangerous. So... Not only do we need to fear loft hatches, because Billy might be up there, but now we also need to fear demonic forces when we're all just trying to overcome, <laughs> you know, the food it's coma ending, of Christmas you. Day. I mean, stains. <laughs> so people are careful not to attract their attention. They don't go out at night. Everybody stays indoors. I mean, that seems perfect to me. Mm-hmm. So in Serbian folklore, they are referred to as... Karakontzulas. Now, again, forgive my pronunciation. I think that's right. And they're imagined as heavy, ugly squat beings, much like me after Christmas. And if you found <laughs> <laughs> if you found outdoors during the night on these unbaptized days, then one of these guys will jump on your back and they'll make you carry him around all night until dawn breaks. So you'll be stuck carrying <laughs> this squat, ugly, hairy beast <laughs> around. <laughs> We've all been there. We've, we've, all, we've, been we've there. all been that friend. We've all been we've all been that friend. You know, you've gone out on Christmas Eve, you're carrying dragging somebody home again. We've all done it. So the Karakunzula are also known to punish adulterers, which is my personal favourite aspect of this folklore. Ah, yes. So apparently they sit atop door frames and jump on the back of cheaters leaving the house at night to visit their lover or sex workers, it says, or brothels love that. or you love know, that. various things. Um, and they beat them with sticks or scratch them with the sharp nails, forcing them to run through the forest all night. Which, you know, <laughs> cheaters going to cheat. Beast for a beast. Them the rules. <laughs> Them's Them's the, the rules. rules. <laughs> Them's the rules. Stay where you're meant Don't to be. Don't the players, hate the game. <laughs> <laughs> and also it's said that they'll return every night until the adulterer confesses their sins to their significant other. So, Brilliant. Who needs Love Jerry it. Springer? You don't. You just need this guy. He's going to sit there tapping his long nails on the for him. <laughs> so that was my uh, little dive into these guys. Fantastic. So alongside Krampus, we now have Martyphia in the Christmas season. <laughs> this is getting better and better. I mean, <laughs> should have an advent calendar of, yes. um, you know, of uh, next year, creatures for next Christmas. year, monstrous flesh Absolutely. advent calendar of yes. horrors. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love it. But what, Love it. what about recommendations then? Do we have any recommendations? So I only have a, a couple, um, and I, I mean, obviously, as we discussed already, um, I mean, I kind of stayed on the theme of the urban legend yes. because also not not a big fan of the home invasion angle. So, you know, there's a few that we've discussed obviously in this episode, but obviously the, the first one that comes to mind when I watch Black Christmas is a film that came out only a few years later. It's When a Stranger Calls. Yes. From 1979 and is honestly on par with Black Christmas, like one of the scariest mm. horror films film out there it is absolutely terrifying it also has that shot of the of the eye so um yeah it's definitely definitely one um and actually one that came out a few years before black christmas that's a short film but that was an inspiration on black christmas it's called foster foster's release and it's a short film from uh, 1971 by terence winkles uh winkless sorry um so yeah really really recommend uh really recommend this too but that's that's kind of all i had really i don't know if you if you had a if you had a few or if you you know if you happy with the one we've mentioned already yeah i was just thinking uh because i did not come prepared full disclosure 
But I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, good slashers with, with interesting women in. Slumber Party Massacre, mm-hmm. which uh, yes, we've, yeah. we've talked about before. Um, I would say if, you, if you're keen on the home invasion pregnancy angle inside uh, mm. the... French extremity oh, that's a hard film. One. <laughs> um, we've already talked about like funny games and the strangers. If home invasion is your bag, and that's probably about it, really. I think I don't really think can't really think of any more off the top. I mean, of my like head. the best thing to do after what after talking about Black Christmas, frankly, is to go back and what and rewatch Black Christmas. Just rewatch that's Black like, Christmas. That's my, you know, exactly. Like, what more do you want to be talking about it? This is the one you want to rewatch this. Season. We have told you definitively <laughs> that this is the best slasher ever made. Why would you want to watch another <laughs> <Exactly>. slasher? <laughs> So yeah, just go and watch Black Christmas on repeat. Then watch Krampus. Maybe put the Gremlins in there, and then come back to Black Christmas. (laughs) And then come back to us, and maybe we'll have more ideas then. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, well, what a wonderful discussion! How exciting! I'm. It's been amazing. Yeah, I'm just scared now to go and get my Christmas tree out at Loft. Um, (laughs) Yeah, good luck with the rest of your evening, (laughs) mine. You enjoy that. but no it's been fantastic to talk about um to talk about it again always a pleasure uh to talk about this film and especially in this context where we really have time to to properly dissect it oh yes and we would as ever love to know people's thoughts on black christmas and whether it is uh, a regular on your christmas rotation or will it be in the future perhaps hopefully we've got new converts yes if it's your first (laughs) watch then definitely let us know what you thought Thanks for listening to Monstrous Flesh. Please join us next time for more discussion about festive frights. Uh, You can find out more about us via our website, monstrousflesh.co.uk, where you can find out more about our research for each episode, buy our wonderful merch and see our upcoming events. We'd love to hear from you, either via our email or social media channels. Also, please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and help us spread our spooky word by telling your friends about Monstrous Flesh. Until next time, creep it weird, everyone.